Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Engage and Equip podcast. This is a resource designed to help form substantive disciples for the local church. In this episode, you're going to be hearing Nick interview Hannah and Sung-In about government control. And he's interviewing them because Hannah has spent some time in China and Sung-In grew up in South Korea. And he's going to be interviewing them about what sorts of things Christians should be thinking about as it relates to government control and what their experiences have been with government control. So we hope you enjoy this episode. This is going to be part one of a two part episode. Second part will be coming out in a couple days, but until then, we hope you enjoy this episode. Thanks for joining us for Engage and Equip. Hey everyone, welcome to the Engage and Equip podcast. This is Nick Gibson. We're doing another episode in the Hot Takes series, and this one's going to be a little bit different. We're going to be talking about societal totalitarianism today with Sung Young and Hannah. I'm not gonna say their last name and that may or may not be their true first names. <laughs> what, what we're gonna focus on is both of these folks have lived, um, uh, Hannah spent some time in China mm-hmm. and in South Korea. Sung Young is from South Korea yes. and has seen some alarming changes in what he's seen in that country in his lifetime, especially in the last few years. I'm going to invite them to talk really freely about their experiences, what those mean for the lives of the people who live under these systems and how they seem to be evolving quickly in some of these countries, because um, it's it's really important. This is a very, very important historical and present phenomenon to understand. And modern Americans do not understand it, especially if you're under the age of about 40 years old, because you didn't grow up during the Cold War. And so you, you really don't remember having to deal with it personally. Mm-hmm. Um it's so, yeah. Well, can you guys just introduce yourself and like give us a little personal background? Yeah. That might be helpful. Um, I'll go first. Um, I mean, you introduced us a little bit already, but um, first of all, I didn't live through the Cold War era. Yes. So if I hadn't lived in China and if I didn't have this close connection to South Korea and some other countries, it probably wouldn't be on as my mind as much either. Um, right. So... I'm not coming in as an expert on totalitarianism Mm -hmm. or the ways that it develops, Um, but just here to share some, like you said, some experiences um, and some thoughts on the topic. So I'm from South Korea. I was born and raised in South Korea. And South Korea is like other um, oriental countries. It's um, like country of collectivism. So I grew up in that. Also, like recently, like as uh, we had a couple of years ago, we had some very radical uh, regime change. For the first time in the history, um, our president was impeached. So uh, now we have some progressive um, like ruling party and um, we are experiencing really radically the totalitarianism. So the whole society is moving toward to it. Very, yeah. very, um, aggressively. yeah, greatly and, and aggressively. aggressively. Yeah, I want to get into some stories with that really specifically from your experiences because I just don't think for a lot of our listeners this is going to hit home. But I do think it's good to spend a little time just like defining totalitarianism mm-hmm. um, and what what we're talking about here. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so do you guys want to jump into that a little bit? Do you want me to help? I mean, you can probably lay a groundwork more succinctly than we can. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that um, I actually like um, Benito Mussolini's 
definition that everything is inside the state and mm-hmm. nothing is outside the state. Mm-hmm. Um, people often in America, especially younger people, think fascism in Europe was a was a rightist rather than leftist phenomenon. Mm. But the very word fascism comes from the Italian word fascis, which is in England, it was called a faggot, which is like a group of sticks tied together with a single rope. Mm-hmm. And so what it means is, is the fascist or the faggot is the bundle of sticks that are all tied together and are just one thing. There's mm-hmm. no separation. There's no difference. Mm-hmm. And so everything is inside the state. Nothing is outside the state. That's the definition of fascism. It's a communitarian and, and totalistic idea mm-hmm. where the government controls the things that control people's lives. And um, another way to define this is that the personal is the political. Mm-hmm. That there is, there's not, there's not a fundamental difference between your private life and political life. And that the political life is a limited and circumscribed set of things it's not allowed to go outside of. Mm-hmm. And your personal life is a very large and open area of what we call civil society, mm-hmm. where we all voluntarily cooperate with one another in ways we choose. Mm-hmm. But instead, the government takes over civil society and ultimately, therefore, then what would have been considered the personal or the private life. Mm -hmm. In order to reject that, the United States system circumscribed both civil life and private property and private and privacy and those sorts of things to try to limit the natural growth of the state. Does that make sense? Um, The United States was founded by a bunch of people who didn't want a large government, didn't want to be communitarian, and wanted to be individuals because they didn't like being dominated by the governments that dominated them, especially in the Northeast, among the Puritans. They were seeking religious freedom. As Sung Young shared before, a number of the places right now totalitarianism is growing is in the East, where a lot of cultures are naturally connected to your ancestors, to the society around you. They have a more communitarian mentality and morality. And so it's just moving faster there. But Mm. I think one of the reasons why I wanted you guys to come on is I see this happening in the United States very quickly. It's happening faster in Canada. Mm. It's happening again in some places in Europe kind of quickly. Mm. And um, it's happening among a generation that's now too young to remember the totalitarianism, both fascism and communism. Mm. And a couple other sorts. So, is that good definition? Like, is that what is that the kind of stuff you've seen happening? Yeah. <laughs> so, um, I as I told you that I grew up in a like a collective stick, collective stick, whatever the society, mm-hmm. and so like we care like a lot about what people really think about me, like mm-hmm. my opinion. So one of the um, predicament that you can see in South Korea is that um, people don't really like um, read the article. So they just like jump into the comment section so that like they can see like if your opinion is the like mainstream idea, like is to is right to the mainstream idea, then if it is, then you feel very um, safe because you are right but actually you know it has nothing to do with you know whether it's right or not right it's just like so some somehow you know that's one of the like um uh, characteristic of um um totalitarian um society but somehow like so when the the direction is set it's just it it, it goes too fast and yeah there's no no break, mm-hmm. so and like individuals are totally kind of like ignored. 
So yeah. you can't really voice up your, your opinion right. publicly. Yeah, okay, so just, I want to make sure that we understand each other, right? So one of the things you said about the article is, you know, when people fall into this communitarian way of looking at things, they don't read the article to see whether or not they agree based on the arguments and the facts of the article as an individual using mm. their reason. Instead, they look at the comments and see what the majority opinion is. Yeah, true. And then if they believe the majority opinion, then they're, they're good. Yeah, they feel safe. Right. Because you, you are, you're in. And if you don't believe the majority opinion, you'd better change your mind to the majority many, opinion. Ma mm -hmm. Many people would change their opinion. Right. Because they, they see that they're wrong, even though it is not. Right. And you've told me stories of like, you know, discussing different political issues or social issues with people in Korea um, who take a different stance than you. And you're trying to have a rational argument, make a logical argument with them. Um, but they pretty much don't go past, well, this is what everyone thinks. Yeah. Um, so it's right. Yeah, that's the, um, yeah, most of the time I just get it. Like, yeah, everyone does it. So yeah, if you if you think differently, maybe maybe there's a high chance that you are wrong. Yeah. Mm. Do you think that's because there's a high level of trust in the quote leadership of the society, or do you think that people are actually afraid to be kicked out of the tribe and to be isolated and being on the outside? So I I think like um, like historically speaking, like South Korea before South Korea like. Before South Korea, like um, we had another like a dynasty called Joseon, mm -hmm. and it was just like a kingdom. So we had a king. So like most of people, they didn't have any like right. They didn't have any freedom. So they just like just moved together according to the king's will. I think something similar is still happening in South Korea. So they are always seeking uh, someone's. Approval, the approval of someone who is in the um, very absolute position. Mm -hmm. So, if it, unless like he says it's wrong, then you can't really decide what what's wrong and what's right, what's what's not wrong. So, do you think do you think it's already getting to the point in South Korea that if you are a dissenter, if you disagree with the majority, mm -hmm. you're afraid to speak out publicly? Um, pretty sure. I'm. Yeah. So, yeah. That's true. In your views, so historically suppression of the truth, that is people not trying to keep people from sharing what they believe is true, either by punishing them for doing it or by drowning them out and shouting them down mm -hmm. has been really common in these sorts of dynamics, right? Mm -hmm. um, is that the kind of thing you, you were seeing in South Korea? Is that the kind of thing that you people had completely submitted to in China? I think... Um I mean, well, starting with South Korea, even apart from the realm of politics, you know, if you look in the entertainment industry, if you look at mm. the lives of celebrities or these like K-pop idols, things like that, um, mob justice, mm -hmm. digital mob justice mm. is just, it's hard to describe how intense it is um, if you haven't seen it yourself. Um, and... I think like Korea has to some degree become kind of recognized for that worldwide. Like people who have participated in fandoms for different bands, mm. um, the fan wars and the vitriol is just incredibly intense and they'll mm. destroy a celebrity's life in a day, just totally destroyed. Mm. Um, and that 
isn't only reserved for people who've like volunteered themselves into the public eye, mm -hmm. but it could be private citizens who mm -hmm. get exposed for something or, you know, mild YouTube personalities who yeah. have turned out to be on the wrong side of something um, and just their entire livelihoods are completely destroyed. Mm -hmm. Or some about some like historical event, if you have a different like idea or opinion about mm -hmm. it and... Um, if you the if you're not talking the mainstream idea, then actually it's really it could be really dangerous for you to like speak up your opinion. Um, like um, we had some like very um, painful history with the neighboring country Japan. Mm -hmm. We are like occupied Japan, so you guys Korea was occupied by Japan by Japan right. like uh, for like forty years before. Mm -hmm. Before South Korea was established. And I mean, your history wasn't very friendly before that. Either. Yeah. So <laughs> anyway, like, you know, neighboring countries, like, you know, you can't really get along with them. Mm -hmm. But um, you got to be really careful uh, not to um, make Japan sound good or look good. Mm -hmm. Because like Japan is kind of like whether, you know, South Koreans like show their, I'll say, honey. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, sh show your op like honest opinion mm -hmm. or not. Like uh -huh. people have some kind of bitterness about the country. So mm -hmm. if you just say differently from um, from the main idea, mm -hmm. then like you may get like lynched. Yeah. Very easily. Figuratively. Yeah. You're figuratively. Saying, yeah. yeah. And you've yeah. experienced this even from. I remember you described a pa conversation you had with a pastor that you knew. Um, where you were talking about this anti-Japanese sentiment. Um, and you had suggested that maybe you needed to exercise some forgiveness. Um, mm. And as I recall you telling me, he said basically, like, you've forgotten who you are. Like, you are not, like... Properly Korean. Right, you're not being Korean yeah, right now. Oh, uh, there's just some Tom, like... kind of, like, betraying. You're not being loyal to Korea right you now. Are, like, you are a Japanese disguised as Korean. Mm -hmm. Oh that, man, it's kind of like an insult. Like you're not, you're not yeah. Korean. So I feel like, yeah. So when most Christians would say that's a fundamental thing, you have to forgive others. Um, but even like in churches, mm -hmm. like even in church context, like people don't really can't really like forgive Japanese or Japan or yeah. what they did. Um, so yeah. I don't know. Like so, actually, about regarding Japan, like. Mm -hmm we experience very extremely the totalitarianism. Like, you can't be out of it. So, South Korea, or the Korean Peninsula, was under the totalitarian rule of Japan. Yeah. And then they weren't after the Korean War? Mm. Or before that? Before they, uh, we are independent. So was it 1945? 1945, you know, as the U.S. won the war, America won the war. The Second war, World War. Yeah, Second World War. Okay. Um, that made South Korea uh, independent from Japan, Japan. Japanese occupation. And then there was fear that there was encroachment from China, which led to the Korean War. And then our target um, became the like Communist Party because, mm -hmm. you know, we had China very near and mm -hmm. also like North Korea it was emerging yeah mm. 
Yeah, and so South Korea had quite a run of essentially Western liberal values, at least economically, and also a huge growth in the Christian church. Yeah. Right, over those years, um, to, to the point where cr- Christian pastors were among the most respected in the country because they had suffered the worst, and there was an enormous economic growth to the point where South Korea became the second largest missionary sending country in the world. Right. Yeah. Right. The like scholars say the large, the largest revival in mm-hmm. the history of the church, second only to the book of Acts happened in Korea in 19. What is it? I can't remember now. Oh, eight or nine, somewhere around there. On um, oh, seven. Yeah. So, oh, so that long, that long right, so that's really when Christianity took off. In the Korean Peninsula, not just South Korea. So actually, North Korea was the center of Christianity in Korea before the war. Some people say like Pyongyang is the second uh, Jerusalem. Jerusalem. Oh, wow. Okay. And so, um, but now they've kind of, they're turning from that. The revival has, the generations have burned them out in two generations or three generations. And the relative wealth of the country has become fairly astounding relative to its historical wealth. And this has led to comfort and secularism and the desire to get along with China and North Korea. Is that, is that what's driving this? You think? Yeah, I think, um, you know, therapeutic, um, Christianity mm-hmm. and consumeristic Christianity, um, has really sadly become an idol for South Korea, as it so often, so easily is for mm-hmm. economically successful This is Christians. something we Americans should pay attention to. Right. <laughs> um, and for the younger generation who, don't, who didn't live through the struggle um, and who don't necessarily find Christianity, uh, the Christianity of their parents very compelling, mm. um, there's really a gap um, in their um, view of the world that totalitarianism fits right quite nicely into what do you do you know what that gap is um i think like um how do i say this um they've been taught that a meaningful life is a comfortable life that the meaning Mm -hmm. of life is to secure uh means for your family Mm -hmm. and really for yourself Mm -hmm. um because having families is going out of style too. Right. Um, and so, you know, getting the best job that you can, um, getting the best house, the best car you can, being free to travel, um, not having kids because it'll tie you down, not getting married because it'll tie you down, um, and limit your options. You know, not that any of that sounds familiar to, to our context either. Um, but also they feel a little bit trapped, I think. Um, in case, for people listening, I'm holding a baby right now, and he was supposed to be quiet, but he's not. So, honey, maybe you can pick up where I left off for a second. So anyway, I grew up um, and experienced so many things. Um, like, as I was in like elementary school, like South Korea was not a like wealthy country, so we didn't really have anything much. And in my parents' uh, generation, actually they they experienced war, war aftermath of the war, Korean War. So 
Anyway, the reason why uh, we are still very submissive to the power, still, is because like South Korea grew bigger and stronger over time mm-hmm. in a very totalitarian um, ruling system. So they somehow like trust the leader. And in the early history of um, early time of South Korea, we had really charismatic leaders. Mm-hmm. And they just led the country to the like, right direction. But somehow, even though the direction is somehow um, set wrongly these days, but people are still thinking that things will get better mm-hmm. somehow because it happened before and it, it has been happening. Mm-hmm. That's why they don't really doubt about the direction set wrongly these days. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of young people feel like the pressures of modern society are making, like, like they're really stuck, um, yeah. like unemployment or like the demands of the educational system, the demands from their employers. Um, so, I mean, they're not living through a war, but they personally, in their lifetime, they feel like they've been dealt a raw hand. And they're mm-hmm. looking for someone to fulfill promises of a better life mm-hmm. for them. Yeah. Were you talking about South Korea there or both? Or? Um, I was talking about South Korea, yeah. but it's broadly applicable. Yeah. Um, yeah, we haven't really talked that much about China yet, but. Yeah, why don't you do a little bit of that? Uh-huh. Um, so one of the things you wrote in the notes you gave me mm-hmm. was one of the differences between a dictatorship and totalitarianism is that there's a place where the dictator ends. Mm-hmm. Like there's actually a saying in China that um, heaven is high and the emperor is far away. Yes. Mm. Right. And there is this idea that like the dictator, as long as he's being taken care of and everything's fine, he'll pretty much leave you alone. Mm-hmm. But totalitarianism is different. Like you have to say the right things. You have to believe the right things. You have to act in the right way. It is total. Right. There is no private life. Mm-hmm. Um it sounded like when I talked to you about your experiences in China that uh, that was true, especially like even the use of technology to make sure no one mm-hmm. in China has a private life. Right. I mean, I love that expression, you know, that the heaven is high as the, and the emperor is far um, because it's not true anymore. Yeah. Um, in modern China, the, the emperor, emperor is, is in, in your, your pocket. pocket. Exactly. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and through AI technology, seeking to be in your head. Um, not just to know what you're doing, but to predict what you're doing and to influence it. Um, so, um, I mean, I, I don't know. I'm sometimes surprised that people don't know how much surveillance happens in China because it's so well documented. It's so ubiquitous to Chinese life. Um, but I lived there for two years and, um, and not like in Shanghai. Oh no, I was in like, like a, a nowhere, like <laughs> far northeast, um, uh, among, small city by among, Chinese like standards. Like Koreans. Right. Um, which brings a, another level um, because um, Han Chinese and ethnic minority Chinese have a different experience in China mm-hmm. often. Um, and the area in China where I was, was traditionally um, set aside for ethnic uh, Korean Chinese. Um, but it's been, they've been slowly like moved out of that area because the government has been trying to limit their ethnic, like suppress their ethnic identity, um, and sort of assimilate them to the rest of, of China. 
And mm-hmm. so the percentage... And this is like the opposite side of China as the Uyghurs, right? Exactly. Total opposite end. But it, As far as you can get. A similar desired result, slightly, but different means. The right. means with the Uyghurs have been more aggressive. Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, but... True, would you guys say from what you know, true genocide though, with the Uyghurs, like the attempt to wipe out an ethnic group intentionally by the government? Um, I would have basically no hesitation in saying that I believe that to be true. Um, I I know a missionary uh, mm. who used to work for um, those like Muslims in northeast and northwest mm-hmm. of China. Mm-hmm. And he, he still has some connection there. And he says like there are no young men mm. like mm-hmm. um, in their 20s and 30s because they are either in um, political camp or dead. And wow. people believe that like their organs are uh, on the market for mm-hmm. sale. So um, that's, yeah, I believe uh, that's what's, what's, beli- what's happening there in, in, in China. Yeah. yeah. And I, um, I knew teachers who had been working in that area, but they mm-hmm. were made to leave. They were not allowed to stay there anymore. Um, and presumably because people didn't they didn't want people to see right what was happening there right um there's really no other good reason to explain yeah. why why that would be they're providing a free <clears throat> service that claims to be part of china's initiative to educate every person in china and especially in the rural areas and right. they're providing this excellent service for free so there's really no reason why you wouldn't right. want them there unless there's something you didn't want them to see um yeah but the you're in the you are in literally the opposite right. side of the country, but among ethnic Koreans, mm-hmm. and so their ethnic identity was being suppressed. And right, but in more subtle ways, definitely. Yeah. Um, but you can do a lot now through those ways, right? Right. Um, one of the ways was through language, um, and you know, the a lot of my students felt like they had no path forward in China because they had studied. They have the option of doing like elementary and middle school in Korean or in Chinese. And the ones who had studied in Korean felt like their country held no future for them because they weren't as fluent in Mandarin. So there was nothing, there was nowhere for them to go. There's nothing for them to do. There's no job opportunities for them except unless they could get to South Korea and work there. Um, But regarding the surveillance issues that we were talking about, Mm -hmm. um, so WeChat is... Um, the app that's used for messaging mm-hmm. and social networking. It's used for advertising and selling of goods. It's used for cashless payment. Um, it's used for like personal health tracking, mm-hmm. um, kind of like you would use your, um, like an iPhone tracks like your my chart or something. Um, well, like counting your steps, oh, okay. tracking different health things okay. for yourself. Even ch- checking your pulse and stuff. Right. Because okay. if you have a watch that does that, it would link to WeChat. Actually, my students gifted us a set of those watches as a wedding present, which was really sweet. And oh. I, we wore it for a while and I just mm. couldn't do it anymore. Yeah. But, um, and so it knows when you wake up, it knows when you go to sleep, um, it knows what you're buying, it knows what you're reading, it knows... Um, where you're shopping, it knows who you're with because it knows proximity to other people with the app. Um, It knows your health problems. It knows um, 
now it's also been used for COVID tracking, yeah. um, for contact tracing. Um, and I, I'm not 100% sure of this, but I think I saw something that it was actually required by the government to be installed for COVID tracking. Mm-hmm. Whereas WeChat was never officially required. It was just functionally required in order to do anything in society. It's that ubiquitous. Like you, everybody uses that. Everybody. I've okay. never like met WhatsApp a Chinese person. in Central America. I don't know, but yes. Okay. <laughs> uh, but like more functions, right? It, it just uh, does everything. Yeah. You okay. can um, pay stuff. Right. And so nobody carries cash. Um, I carried cash because I didn't have a Chinese bank account, so I had to. Um, but we were dinosaurs. It was really hard for us to function. We had to have students buy movie tickets for us, buy train tickets for us, because it was just really hard to do anything with cash, with cash yeah. um, apart from just going to the local market and getting cucumbers. Um, so um, also just any phone or SIM card that's manufactured in China. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't say manufactured, but that's sold in China. Yeah. Um, has built-in tracking into it. Um, and right. so even if you don't have WeChat... And this is not a secret to the Chinese people. Uh, I, it's an open no, secret. Yeah, okay. Um, because I found surprisingly that a lot of my students just had no idea. Okay. Um, so students who would be really curious and want to talk to me about things that maybe they, the government wouldn't want them to talk about, Yeah. Um, they didn't feel like they needed to hide it. They didn't realize that they weren't supposed to care about that stuff. And they didn't realize that it would be found out really easily. So we were the ones who were like, X-nay on the, (laughs) I will study A. Let's let's put these uh, phones in the microwave for a bit. Right. Mm. Um, And... But even that, they know, right? Like if you do something with your phone so it's not listening, they know that too, right? Um. So, like, I occasionally used a Faraday bag when I was in China, mm-hmm. um, and we would put the Faraday bag in the microwave, and then we'd talk in the other room. <laughs> um, but there's still no guarantee that that really mm. works mm-hmm. or not. Um, yeah. And so you and even when people have their phones powered down, oh no, when it, they're off, they can still, still hear everything, yeah, yeah, yeah. right? Yeah, some people don't realize that. I mean, right. in fact, for a long time, I would only buy phones that you could take the back off and take out the battery yeah. because, because I wanted another battery to put in. And mm-hmm. I would carry two or three batteries around with me mm-hmm. because I want to make sure my phone would work. But they stopped manufacturing those. Right. And I was like, why, why are they doing that? And somebody's like, well, the real reason mm. is because the East Asian countries don't want you to be able to take the battery out. Because mm. if you take the battery out, ultimately it, it will run disable. out of juice oh, right. and will disable the phone. Right. And so they have to force you to keep the battery in the phone so that China can listen to all their citizens. And so South Korea wants to sell phones in China right. so they can't manufacture a phone where you can take it out. Right. So, um, and I have, you know, personal experiences with this. Some of my teammates, you just get used to it. You just know that there is absolutely zero privacy anywhere oh, yeah, at any time. Yeah, you tell a couple of these stories. So this is kind of, you learn to have some humor about it. Like mm-hmm. a teammate of mine who'd lived there for like 17 years, she said that there was one time when she was really frustrated with her apartment, the landlord wasn't doing anything and the plumbing was just disgusting and not working. And so she spoke into her phone someone bring me a plumber. This is outrageous. I can't live here anymore. And like two days later, a plumber showed up at her house. You know, she didn't call someone to fix it. She just spoke it into her house and someone just came to her house to fix it. 
Can you um, tell the cafe story? Which cafe story? Uh, oh, the, the weird guy. Yeah, the weird guy me. one. Um, they're all kind of blending together for me at this point. <laughs> There's a weird guy in all of them. Yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, there were several cases where we would be meeting students at cafes and there was very obviously someone watching us just like sitting and staring at us. Um, there were cases where, you know, a colleague of mine would like announce to the students, hey, I'm going to be working at this cafe from these hours. If you want to just come and study, I can help you with your work, whatever. Um, and there would be someone there before she got there to watch what happened. Um, and um, I remember, like, um, there was also a case when I was teaching. Um, and I finished my class and I went back to my office and, and like, uh, office aide, a student intern from one of the other departments, oh baby, came and um, told me that someone had been listening outside of the classroom Mm -hmm. with like machine equipment and like a um, sound, I can't think of the words right now. Sound amplifier. Yeah, like like outside the door during one of my lectures. And at first I was kind of anxious. So I was like, oh my gosh, what did I say during that lecture? Um, Like, why are they listening to me? What did I do wrong? Um, And then I was like, that's really redundant. Yeah, they should already (laughs) hear it. Like there are 35 class, like cell phones in that classroom. um, And half the students um, are part of the party anyway. And so they would report anything that I said that was out of line. Um, And so that's, I wonder why he went to that trouble. Yeah. Um, to justify his job, probably. I guess. Uh, I think um, I, I asked uh, one of the yeah. uh, Korean missionaries to China. Yeah. Then he says, um, the party uh, wants the foreigners to know that they are, they right. are listening to you. Oh. Right. So it's kind of like a warning. It was intentional intimidation. So don't, don't, do, don't even think of like trying something stupid. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so this is a... I don't know if Americans are scared by this. I, I think some of them might think, oh, you can just yell into your phone, you need a plumber, and somebody shows up. Or well, like, right. you know, you can contract trace COVID by algorithms of artificial right. intelligence. That sounds really awesome. Right. I mean, <laughs> after living in China, I think it, it I'm constitutionally like incapable of having a Google Home or like an Alexa or anything like that. Uh, uh, good, thing, um, good thing here... Um, uh, like having like a smart speakers mm-hmm. um, is they are not government. Yeah. Like Google is not um, U.S. Not government. Yeah. Not yet. Right. Not, yeah, not yeah. yet. But so that's why people don't. But see technically, WeChat isn't owned by the government either. Everything is owned by um, <laughs> the Communist Party anyway. Um, somehow, technically. Yeah. But there were also like the distinction be- has just became so um, non-existent. Yeah. Um, because we had party officials come to our school um, and give a warning to all the foreign teachers, specifically that like any WeChat group with more than 10 people will now be subject to extra surveillance. Mm-hmm. It was very explicitly said. Um, and these are the things you shouldn't say. You should not talk about these topics. Um, it's well known. It's almost hard for me to say it, even though I know I'm fine here. But to talk about the three T's, mm-hmm. um, Tiananmen Square, Taiwan and Tibet, Mm-hmm. You should never mention them anywhere mm-hmm. in print or in speech. Um, and you should, um, there's freedom of religion, but religion should not disturb the peace of the 
a political piece or educational piece. Um, and we were told very explicitly, don't say these things in WeChat. So one of the things you put in these notes, Hannah, was um, the statement that in Eastern Europe, like in Czechoslovakia, mm-hmm. when the communists liberated them from the fascists, a number of younger people joined the communists because they thought they were the opposite of the fascists. Right. Right. The, the right. Nazis I want to be as to be... anti-Nazi as I can get. Right. I want to mm-hmm. join these new guys. Right. That must be the communists. Right. Mm-hmm. And it turns out they're not different. Mm-hmm. Even though one was supposedly a rightist phenomenon and one was a leftist, they're both collectivists, they're both socialists, and they're both totalitarian. Mm. And it turned out that it wasn't much better, right? Um, do you think that, I think that there's a phenomenon in America, I'm interested if this is the phenomenon in Korea as well, that oh, one of the reasons why a lot of people in the United States turned towards the leftists as early as the early 1900s, but continually till today, is because they feel like individualism and um, free markets, what we call capitalism, mm. failed people. Mm-hmm. That um, f- f- the free society didn't stop racism in America fast enough. Mm-hmm. Or that maybe, um, I don't know what it would be in Korea that like, I don't, I don't know what, maybe it's that, you know, Japan is bad and they're capitalist or something and we want to be as unlike them as possible. I don't know what it would be, but I feel like in the United States, there's a sense like, you know, we didn't stop racism. Feminism hasn't gone far enough. Right. The poor are still Capitalism poor. has left people behind. Capitalism mm-hmm. has left people behind. Yeah. And, and so they go, so we don't want that. Right. We want the other thing, mm-hmm. which must be what they, you know, democratic socialism or something like that. Right. Doesn't that make sense? Yep. And my concern for people is that they, they just don't understand what socialism is and must be relative to human nature. Somehow, like, um, well-being together, like, somehow together, like, so far, like, in the um, existing system, like, there are some selfish people, and because of them, my, my life is miserable. That's, yeah. I think that's the, um, um, the idea that they have about um, the situation. They currently have, but that's pretty common. It was Mm. very true, both Nazism and communism, that there was a strong application of a scapegoat people. Mm -hmm. These people are the people that make our lives bad. Mm. I think you have to have that in Mm. order to like get the system up and running and to sustain it and to sustain it when it's being destroyed by ignorance. Mm -hmm. Right. Because totalitarianism doesn't go very well. Mm-hmm. So you have to be able to keep blaming someone. This is true in Central America as well. Like in Central America, you've got these socialist countries that are still incredibly poor. Mm-hmm. Their markets aren't doing well. And so they blame, they keep blaming it on crony capitalism, mm-hmm. right? It's, it's, it's this, it's these capitalists. Stuff. It's these, these are the people who are destroying yeah. us when in fact the crony capitalists are in bed with the government, which is socialist and they're all making out great and everybody else is in poverty. Right. So in that, you can see that in the promises of Mao, Right. Mm. Um, His great leap forward in which millions died. Um, And the greatest, the worst famine in like recorded history. Mm. Um, Man made famine. (laughs) And it wasn't ethnically specific because in China, it was all these Chinese people who died. And in the Ukraine, 
Mm. It was the same basic thing, just 4 million people starved instead mm-hmm. of tens of millions. Mm. And, um, and it was Ukrainians. It wasn't, it, it's the system. It's communism. It's that we can take, we can take people who know how to farm, take their farms away and do these modern methods that have nothing to do with how humans actually behave and not make people in charge of their own destinies or responsible and accountable for their own work. Mm-hmm. And everything's be great because we have this scientific, modern, collectivist system, mm. which will make us all brothers and sisters mm-hmm. and everybody equal. And, and anybody will make any sacrifice for true mm. equality. Right. It turns out there's nothing true about that. Yeah, I was just refreshing my memory on this in, in China, specifically about the Great Leap Forward and the farming, the agricultural reform, mm. where um, you were, you know, private family farms were converted into collective farms, mm. um, but the there was no incentive for them to farm, and they were starving, but they couldn't use the crops for themselves, and, they, and so they just stopped farming completely, yeah. um, until there was this, like, group of, I think, eight farmers who did this, like, secret, um, compa- like, contract together to farm their land privately in rotation among themselves, and they succeeded. Um, And instead of punishing them, the government saw this as an opportunity, and they used that model and introduced it nationwide, Mm. and that helped bring them out of the famine. Yeah. Yeah, there's one of the most interesting parts of, of Plymouth Plantation by William Bradford. When the Puritans came here, they thought that it would be Christian to essentially have a socialist system and everybody to co-own everything. And that was primarily the reason people started to starve in the first two years of Plymouth Colony. Same thing was done in um, Jamestown in America. Completely different, Mm. not a religious settlement. It was a for-profit settlement. They engaged in collective farming. There was famine the first couple of years. And then um, everybody was given land and made it responsible for their own food and then things started to prosper it's just this fundamental i mean over hundreds and thousands of years it's been proven again and again and again that when people work for themselves and their families they're very industrious when they work for this headless government that supposedly makes all people equal who don't know each other in any way it n- never works it one of the things in U- ukraine was that the kulaks this group of like middle class ukrainians that owned their own farms which which meant like they were quote rich but they like basically they had two or three employees between two and ten employees. They had a house and they had some acreage. That's what it meant to be quote rich in this sense. But they knew how to farm productively. Mm. When they turned these farms over, one of the reasons there was great famine is because whatever whatever those farms produced, the cities, which was the seat of power, of course, had priority over the country. And so the food would be collected ruthlessly in the countryside and sent to the cities. Mm. So the people in the cities would eat and the people in the country would starve. Mm. And the Russians ate, but the Ukrainians starved. Mm. And one of the things people just do not get is there is no such thing as universal brotherhood outside Mm. of a universal voluntary belief in Christ. There's no such thing as that. There's always going to be some group that has their foot on the neck of another group. Mm. This is one of the reasons why I think it's very strange that South Korea and the United States is moving in this direction. The United States is split basically 50-50. Both sides are terrified of each other, and one of the two sides is going to win, right? And it's not clear which side will win, because though the progressive side is in the ascendancy, the conservative side has probably three-quarters of the 340 million guns in the country, mm-hmm. right? It's not clear who's going to, quote, win if it comes to blows. Mm-hmm. And yet, we're ready to invest so much power in the government and make it a winner-take-all system in which it is assured that at least every four years or so, 
the people you don't like are going to be in charge of your whole life. Hmm. And yet increasingly they're like, that's fine. The being okay with surveillance because of the, the conveniences it creates economically. Hmm. We seem to be making that trade. Um, and I think that there's a lot of this like supremacy of the city, right? So, the, there's a lot of laws being made in America statewide and nationwide that really are laws for cities. Like it's a city, it's really for Seattle. But instead, the people of Seattle want to make it a, a law for all of Washington, even though most of Washington doesn't live at all like the people in Seattle, mm. right? But this idea that, no, people outside the city have to live like us in the city mm. is just, it's natural because when the city tends to draw talent, capacity, transformation, creativity, mm. they tend to feel like they're on the cutting edge. So therefore, we're living the best way. Therefore, everybody should live like us. Mm. People in the country can't live like you. They can't afford what you can afford. They don't want to live the way you live. They and so on. And so there's all these like there's all these systems. And of course, um, I think F. A. Hayek did a really good job outlining in Road to Serfdom how totalitarian systems, more than capitalistic systems, tend to draw the most ruthless people to the center of power. Mm. Mm. And so you you get a natural function where the worst possible human beings tend to move towards power. And you certainly got this. You look at the regimes of totalitarianism in the history of the world. That's looked pretty true because anybody who's not vicious gets killed. And only the most ruthless people get to the top and stay there. And so you get your Saddam Husseins and your mm. Pol Pots and your Mao Zedongs and your Stalins and your Hitlers and your so on. And what Hayek said is that's built into the system. It, that must happen mm. because a government system of control is always going to have con- like power set up to be get power, right? Because you're not creating profit and enriching other people in order to get what you're getting, i.e. capitalism. You're actually consolidating power so that you can control the system. So the system has to be set up to continue power in controlling the system. Mm -hmm. The people who are most willing to do whatever it takes to accomplish that will be drawn to the center, Mm -hmm. right? And if you control surveillance so you can say anything is true that you want to say is true and you can hide anything that's true that you don't want people to know about. Mm. Then you can say things like Stalin used to say that the wheat crops east of the Urals were the greatest we've ever seen in the history of the world when there was nothing coming from the Urals. I remember mm. reading... Oh, that was true for the Great Famine as well. Right. Because the propaganda said that these are Sputnik harvests are yeah. what they were called. Incredible You know, harvests, like right. miraculous to the degree of Sputnik. Um, like great yeah. advances in human engineering. Yeah. Um, Harlan Popov in his book, Tortured for His Faith, he was a Bulgarian pastor who professed faith in Jesus, wouldn't back down, eventually was put in prison, and they would make them read this propaganda about like how much wheat harvest, the harvests were in Bulgaria. And one time he like did the math. And so he's in this thing, he, and he raises his hand, he's like, listen, in order for the Bulgarian fields to produce this much grain, they would literally have to be four and a half feet deep in sheer grain. Like you would have, you literally have to dump four foot deep of grain into these fields mm. for them to produce that much. It's literally inconceivable. Mm. It's not. This is like a Jack and the Beanstalk story. And the guy just looked at him like, he, you know, like he had no idea what to do with this because it just it it didn't work. Mm-hmm. And so one of the things that I am I'm concerned about in the United States is that. Because people want to solve what they believe are lingering issues of poverty and inequality, mm. and in some cases racism, which I think, I I don't think they're as strong a phenomenon as, as the American left wants to say they are, but I do think they're real, meaningful phenomena that profoundly affect people's lives. 
mm-hmm. and that people feel like what then whatever system we've had we want the opposite of that mm. because they take for granted all that we've achieved right and they and they don't see that mm. they see what we don't have yet what isn't done mm. what dennis prager has called the missing tile syndrome that if you have like a hung a hung ceiling and there's one tile missing mm. you don't think oh look we have all but one tile you think that's wrong. That's terrible. Mm. That should be fixed. Why is that wrong? Who is this incompetent person? Does that make sense? Yeah. I think yeah. you remind me of um, how French Revolution ended. Actually, you know, people saw the problem of the, like, you know, king ruling system. Yeah. And then they just, like, turned it over. And then, you know, how it ended, we know, like, it ended with great, even, like, a greater corruption. Yeah. And yeah. in humanity. In humanity. So yeah. it was very brutal, you know. So what was you equal? Because all were equally beheaded. Yeah. Yeah, that's the only, like, equality they achieved from, from the revolution. Right. So I think we should learn something from, from that. Yeah. Yeah, and I think that, I think one of the things we underestimate, too, is the group think and the mass hysteria. That what you're talking about, how like you have to think what the majority thinks, otherwise you're going to get thrown out of polite society. Mm. And then also the inhumanity that people can do terrible, terrible, terrible things and they think they're good people. And in the French Revolution, I remember reading this depiction of people being killed in the streets, like stabbed to death with kitchen knives. Mm. And there were women who were French housewives. I mean, these are women who like took care of babies, Mm. like they're housewives for God's sake. They're the most nurturing people in the country. And they were cutting men's sternums open so that they could take bites out of their beating hearts to show how how loyal they were to the revolution mm. and how important it was for them to triumph over these evil people mm-hmm. who they didn't know what they did wrong. They had no mm. idea what these people had done. And I I don't look at that. Like I look throughout the world and I go, it happened in France, it happened in Germany, it happened in Italy, mm. it happened in China, it happened in Cambodia. Cambodia. It happened in Russia. It happened in like you just keep going and going and going and going and going. And it's like it's this is this is not a racial thing. Mm-hmm. This has nothing to do with human race. It, mm. it, it it transcends culture. There's something in the human spirit that totalitarianism is catnip for us. We want to feel secure. We want some strong person to stand up and keep us safe and take responsibility, so that we don't have to worry. And we don't have to take responsibility. Mm-hmm. And the complicated world in which many complicated things create the phenomenons we face becomes simple. The Jews are the problem. The kulaks are the problem. Mm. The blacks are the problem. The whites are the problem. The elites the, are the problem. The elites. Mm. The Japanese are the problem. Yeah. The Han are the, you know, the ethnic Koreans, the Uyghurs are the problem. And you just, you get to live in this simple little world mm. where you go, yep, you're right. That's the problem. Go and take care of it for me. When the problem Solzhenitsyn said, you know, Solzhenitsyn said, no, it's the opposite. It's not. It's not that the state has to get rid of these problems and get rid of the bad people. The problem is goes right through your own heart. Hmm. Like good and evil is inside of you. And the only person that can take care of that is you. That's it. Hmm. And, but he was saved from that ideology by Orthodox Christianity.